0: BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Visit trybetterhelp.com forward slash you to sleep. That's try better, H E L P, and join over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Special offer for bore you to sleep listeners. With 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com forward slash you to sleep. Happy New Year to everybody, and I hope you've been getting some deserved rest while I've been away. Tonight's reading comes from Into the Frozen South, a sea exploration story written by James Marr. The story looks at two young English boys who join on the journey to the South Pole. My name is Teddy, and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. Sleep is so important, and my mission is to help you get the rest that you need. The podcast is designed to play in the background, while you slowly fall asleep. I have many listeners to thank for your kind words over the past few weeks, as well as listeners who have become Patreons, for your iTunes reviews. Thank you to Nina P44, SMMP30, and Hurley. I'm so happy to hear that I've been able to help you fall asleep. To swill7445, thank you for your lovely review on CastBox. I've also loved hearing from listeners on Instagram, Super Nika, Olivia T, and Ali T. Thank you so much for letting me know how helpful the podcast has been. Thank you also to Rebecca H and Poppy R, also for reaching out to send thanks. A very special thank you goes to the new Patreons that are now supporting the show. Cat H and Sophie, I sincerely appreciate you becoming Patreons, and I look forward to bringing you more episodes. The support from yourselves and other patrons is what helps me to bring out more and more episodes. Please let me know if I have forgotten to send thanks your way. I do appreciate your support, and it has been a few weeks. If you would like, you can always say hello at com, where you can support the podcast. You can also say hello on Instagram, at Sleep. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the readings. Into the Frozen South, Chapter 1. Hope realised. It was difficult to believe that I stood a fighting chance of being chosen as one of that band of gallant adventurers bound for the frozen south. Hope ran high when it was made known to me that I was among the ten candidates who were to be inspected by Sir Ernest Shackleton... But, even so, my heart misgave me. True enough, we ten had been weeded out of thousands who had applied, in response to the wide appeal published in the early summer of 1921, for volunteer scouts to accompany the famous explorer on what promised to be an ideal adventure. But that such good fortune as came would be mine was well-nigh incredible. Yet the miracle happened. A dream grew into reality. Together with Scout Norman E. Mooney of the Orkney Islands, I was selected as one of the crew of the famous quest which driven by the compelling determination of Sir Ernest Shackleton, was to attempt to penetrate the Antarctic fastness, and to explore not only those icy wastes, but also certain little-known islands in the sub-Antarctic seas. Imagine how my heart leapt when the news was told here was romance personified. I think that any youth of my age would have felt with me that all the adventure books ever written were but tame affairs as compared with what the future promised. We were to follow in the footsteps of brave men who had dared much, of men who had died because of their love of perilous adventure. Anything might happen, imagination filled in the coming years with pictures that set the mind alive with delight. Oh yes, it was good to be young and ambitious, and chosen. The doors were to be closed for indefinite years on England. Commonplace England as I thought it then, and our ship was to bear us, high of heart, clear across the threshold of adventure. Often and often had I thought how splendid it would be to visit those wastes of snow and ice and furious seas. Like every other healthy British lad, the hot blood of desire to achieve ran in my veins, and here were my biggest dreams coming true. Fill in the blanks for yourselves. I was glad to think, that my lot was to be cast amongst such tried and proven men as Sir Ernest Shackleton and Mr. Frank Wilde. Every boy has his private heroes. Shackleton was one of mine. Moreover, I, a landsman, was to learn the craft of the sea and under the most fascinating circumstances imaginable. I thought of Drake, Hawkins, and all those hardy adventurers of the past. I was one of them. My first meeting with Sir Ernest Shackleton did nothing to lessen my enthusiasm, for he satisfied my imagination most completely. Here was a man to be followed anywhere, everywhere. A man whom it would be a great thing to serve. A tall, broad man with a strong, determined mouth. A man whose smile gave confidence, whose voice seemed always to be laughing at danger. A full-sized man judged by any standard, though his great shoulders carried a just perceptible bend, as token of the heavy burden laid upon him by his gallant struggles and endeavours of former years. Naturally enough, when face to face with him the first time, I had little to say, but he possessed the ability to size one up almost at a glance. Why do you want to go? he asked crisply. I want to do something, I said. It was a period when every right-thinking boy felt he must do something to be worthy of the sacrifices of Britain's dead in the recently ended war. I wanted to say all this, Yet words failed to come. But Shackleton read right enough and smiled. I was chosen, and even to this day, I cannot understand why. My lucky star had climbed into the zenith, I suppose. There is really no need for me to record that I counted myself the luckiest fellow on earth nor to declare how strenuously I vowed myself to loyal and helpful performance of all such duties as should come my way. I wanted to be worthy of my companions. Here were men who had flocked to a well-loved leader's standard from all the ends of the earth, and I was chosen to stand beside them. Once the decision was made, the days were full of anticipation. They seemed tedious and endless, because, being committed, I wanted to tread the quest's planking and feel that it was all really true. There were so many things that might happen so many chances of misadventure. However, fortune stood, my friend. The appointed hour arrived, not that those final farewells to loving friends were pleasant, but high resolve made light of them. Others had dared the long out trail that's everlastingly new, and homesickness is no fatal disease. Nevertheless, let me be honest and say that my first side of the quest somewhat tarnished the guilt of the gingerbread. She seemed so very tiny to be destined for so great an adventure, merely a minnow amongst whales compared with other craft Still, I doubt if any power on Earth could have tempted me to draw back. Mooney and I joined ship on September 15, 1921, and I was allotted a bunk in the little mess room in the ship's after-end. Cramped quarters enough, make no mistake on that heed, The quest was no leviathan, and personal comfort was a thing that seemed to have been left out of her controller's calculations. So much for first impressions. If I had had previous sea experience, I might, at that first glance, have counted my quarters almost luxurious for in addition to the actual sleeping place, at least as roomy as a coffin, I was granted a locker beneath for clothes, and a shelf for the careful stowing of trifling personal belongings. This was my stateroom deluxe. At first, it seemed so tiny, so stuffy, so generally uncomfortable that I wondered how any human being, not to mention a well-grown youth of my proportion, could exist there. But the time was to come when I should consider this corner of a sea-going ship the most desirable spot in all the world for my seagoing requirements and count the minutes until I was able to fling myself full length into that 7 by 2 sleeping shelf to sink into the dreamless slumber that rewards hard toil. Aboard a polar exploration ship, there is scant room for luxury. Every available inch of space must needs be crammed with gear that is to further the expedition's interests. The human side of things is apt to be lost sight of by those who have the greater vision, and who understand, as our leader understood, the amazing adaptability of mankind. Not that Mooney and myself were called upon at once to render down, into these cramped quarters, probably with an idea of tempering the wind to shorn the Lamb, Mr John Quiller-Rowat, who, by some reason, of his personal admiration for Sir Ernest Shackleton, was responsible for financing the expedition, took us under his comforting wing and gave us a great time at his Sussex home, Eli Place, in France. In my opinion, Mr Rowett deserves a high place in the records of polar exploration. The bravest adventurers imaginable cannot fare forth in quest of the unknown without monetary backing. Born adventurers by reason Of their very indomitableness, seldom have sufficient capital to finance their exhibitions. If the quest was to become a cannonball designed to thrust herself into the frozen fastness of the South, Mr Rowett unquestionably supplied the powder that fired her on that lengthy journey expecting nothing in return for his very considerable outlay, satisfied to know that he was helping courageous men towards the realisation of his ambition. Mr Rowett cheerfully provided the major part of the funds for this. Shackleton's last adventure, out of considerations of personal friendship, for our leader, and in the general interests of scientific research. Chapter 2. London's Goodbye On Saturday, September 17, precisely at one o'clock, Sir Ernest Shackleton gave the word to cast off, and the quest started from St Catherine's Dock, Tower Bridge, on her journey across the foamy leagues. Enthusiastically, she endeavoured to celebrate the occasion by a stentorian blast on her whistle. But no matter how diligently the lanyard was tugged, nothing beyond a hoarse moan resulted. The watching crowd, realising the intention, cheered resoundingly. And as if put on its mettle by this tribute of farewell, the whistle made another and more successful effort. A fairly credible note resulted, as the quest was towed and warped out through the dock heads into the open river. With the great tower bridge opened for us, as if we were a liner of repute instead of one of the stormy patrols of the sea. We passed up to London Bridge, where we swung about, and then dropped down steam, under our own power. We had a wonderful send-off, to me, unaccustomed to crowds. It was as though all London, had conspired together, to bid us a hardening farewell. Crowds and bigger crowds massed on the quays and the banks of the Thames. Both the Tower Bridge and London Bridge were packed with cheering people who clustered like flies. The bigger shipping in the river roared welcome and farewell to the little quest. Every siren was bellowing at its fullest blast and our ineffective whistle was hard set to make even a decent showing in reply. Since the custom of the sea ordains that every signal given shall be scrupulously answered, naturally the press was strongly represented, writers and photographers alike, and since, in a way, we were public property, the whole ship's company posed for the pointing lenses, whilst Shackleton, desirous with those at home, should hold a pleasant final record for all of us, and kept us laughing broadly at his swift shafts of wit. So much for the picturesque side of exploration, But as soon as we were fairly in the river, work began. Shifting stores is no pleasant job. Gunny sacks that hold hard tack rub the neck and arms unmercifully. Cask chines cut the fingers. Every muscle in one's body collects its own individual ache, which joins with every other ache to create one enormous agony of pain. But it's a proud horse that won't carry its own nosebag, And during the journey down to Gravesend, we put our backs into the commonplace but very necessary job. Probably enough, Nelson himself had shifted similar stores in his younger days, and he died an admiral. We realised, I know I did, that we were necessary to the general welfare of the crews. Anchored at Gravesend, Scout Mooney and myself were permitted no easement. That's the way of the sea, I found. She breaks in her disciples thoroughly at the beginning, so that none of her later surprises can astonish. Helping the cook prepare mightn't seem heroic, but it was necessary for these shipmates and ours, depended on us for their creature comforts on this occasion. Maybe enthusiasm overreached itself a little, for serving the prepared meal at table, I contrived to spill hot coffee over the hand of one of our members. Scout law teaches one early to be a philosopher, and here was an excellent opportunity of acquiring a working knowledge of the ready-for-use language employed on the shipboard, to which we were initiated by the injured explorer's remarks. You don't hear language like that every day of your life. Having served, Mooney and myself ate, and did it heartily. The sea creates an appetite all of its own, and I have not the slightest doubt that our attention to the victuals caused some concern in the minds of those responsible for the supplies of the ship. Then, full-fed and happy, we washed up the dishes and turned into our narrow berths and quickly fell into sleep, though the day had been memorable and full of mild excitements. Just before I dropped off, just as the varied aches and abrasions with which I had afflicted myself began to get in their fine work, I remembered those stentorian cheers that had wafted us downriver. Some of those were for me, I thought. It made the labours seem light. All hands on deck was the cry that wakened me in the early morning of the Sabbath. There was a note of purpose in the cry, and no wonder... The quest was dragging her anchors and running down the foul the rigging of nearby steam hopper with her bow sprit. Darkness everywhere, a medley of men in pajamas, and not yet familiarized with the geography of this, their latest home, some shouting, then a twang of snapping wires a vast looming shadow sliding away into the darkness, and we were clear, at cost of two of the steamer's stays, cut through by some opportunist. Evidently, the sea did not permit of long, placid reveries. There was always something happening, or about to happen once you got afloat. But after the moment's breathlessness, my bunk seemed doubly inviting, and I was just getting accustomed again to being asleep, when 6am happened. Four bows in the morning watch, and up we youngsters were roused to get breakfast for our seniors. By 7.30, the quest was already underway and my first real misgivings troubled me. I, a landsman, had to minister to the needs of tried and tested seamen. Some of our ordeal believe me, but it's a poor scout who fears to climb. I overcame my tremblings by dint of sheer determination, and no crockery was broken by being thrown at my devoted head that meal. Maybe the good spirit that animated all the company permitted them to overlook my crass deficiencies. Not a heroic day this Sunday, but my first at sea by any means. We were at once initiated into that shipboard creed which dictates that, Even if your ship be sinking, she must sink clean. Cleanliness aboard the quest, as aboard most other ships flying British colours, ranks ahead of godliness. Mooney and I washed dishes, washed floors, washed everything that could be washed, by way of justifying our existences. We made the little ward room, where ten of us told eat and sleep and generally have our being, shine like silver. By tea time, still washing something, we reached Sheerness. Now, a voyage such as lay before us is not a trifling affair of days or weeks with the assurance of thoroughly equipped ports and dockyards, under one's lee to comfort us. The quest must needs be prepared for any hazard that might arise, and there were many to be anticipated. Divers came off and busied themselves with fitting copper plates to our hull to form a suitable earth, for the wireless installation. Oddments had to be secured from the shore. Other oddments were returned. A new bowsprit was shipped. There was abundance of work for all hands. Scant time for homesickness. So that the evening was upon us almost before we realized it. And since even aboard ship Men must rest and take their pleasure. The cook accompanied us ashore to see the sights of sheerness. The principal one was a picture house. We saw it, and when we'd seen it, it was high time to renew friendship with our bunks. Early in the voyage, Mooney and I found the worth of systematic operation in our labors. In cramped quarters, overpacked with humanity, there must be a place for everything and a definite time for every duty. We put on our thinking caps. At present, we were having allowances made for us, but even a youngster may be allowed to look into the future. A small ship, many men of varying temperaments, these might make for friction, and human nature being what it is, friction under such conditions is inevitable. I had heard of the chaos that can result aboard ship from discordant elements being present, and I decided at this early hour that blame for discord should not rest on me. Mooney and I seemed to have it in our power to lighten irksome days by swift and diligent service. We accordingly drew up a program of duties, which answered very well. I attended the table. Mooney washed up, as the dishes came away from the board. All the wardroom crowd being fed, I assisted in that endless washing up. Then all utensils snugly stowed away in proper Bristol fashion. We combined to carry out such further duties, as were required of us. In a surprisingly little while... We'd reduced the thing to a fine art, and I firmly believe the senior members of the expedition hardly realized our presence, so automatically did the work proceed. One good thing I discovered about hard work faithfully performed, it teaches you to enjoy pleasure. Tuesday evening found me ashore in sheerness, At a whist drive with a dance to follow. There was room to breathe, room to stretch oneself. I enjoyed that evening very much. Ordinarily I might have been bored but I'd earned the relaxation. I fancied and I went into it all with my heart and soul. Yes you can play very hard ...when you've worked hard to earn it. On Wednesday morning, the ship was taken out to the boys to be swung for compass adjustment. Not posing as an experienced navigator, I am unable to describe this very necessary operation in detail... ...but I gathered that a ship's compass is about as uncertain an instrument as can be imagined about the one place to which a compass needle doesn't point is the pole. There are so many opposing forces at work to defeat it, or is it to deflect? That slip of magnetised metal, that the wonder it is doesn't give up the task in despair, and points straight upwards to the spot where Paddy's hurricane came from. Apart from the wide differences, between the magnetic poles and the true poles, and that is called variation. There are the wonderful effects of the metal contained in the ship, the immovable metal of her structure, and every shroud and every barrel hope in some sort of a magnet, the other no less wonderful effects created by the ship's healing and pitching. When what was previously horizontal magnetism becomes vertical magnetism, and a multitude of chancy irregularities that bewilder me when I think of them. However, the experts concerned in the matter contrived to reduce all these warring elements to something approaching order, and we left sheerness with the conviction that whatever happened to the ship, her compasses would not fail. It was after lunch when we finally got our ground tackle and slid away towards the channel, across a sea as flat and smooth as the ice of which we were later to see so much. Under such conditions, being at sea, was about as pleasurable as an experience as I could hope for. It was possible to get familiar with the thousand and one details of shipboard life, which at first sight seemed so baffling. Already, short as had been my time aboard, I had a sneaking belief that I could pass some sort of examination in seamanship. And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope you enjoyed the story, but I also hope you're feeling drowsy. If you're not quite tired yet, please feel free to listen to another episode. In the meantime, I'll be working on bringing you a new episode very soon. Good night.